mixed with humor and reflections. Enjoy wholesome conversations between two lifelong friends on their unique immigrant experiences. Welcome to That's It with Aisha and Busola. joining us again as we continue our chat on culture shock experiences moving to a new country and in this case Busola to America and myself to Australia. Like we discussed the last time, culture shock sometimes is an opportunity to actually evaluate your assumptions and perceptions and how those perceptions actually affect the way you think or act. It's also an opportunity to learn, unlearn and relearn hoping you don't lose yourself along the way. Right. So if you have not listened to the previous episode, you should totally go check it out. Like pause this one right now. Mm-hmm. Go to our episode list and start from part one because it's a two-part topic and you'll be able to keep track of what we are saying up until this point and then this is like concluding part. So totally go check it out. Anyway, today we will talk about other areas. We as people, I mean, we're immigrants, um, We experience culture shock and focus on what we can learn from it, you know, like what culture does to us, how we can use the experience to evaluate and find healthy ways to balance our original beliefs and the new culture in a way that helps our lives to be better. Right. So like you remember how we said that there are some things that will still completely shock you, even when you are aware of it. I mean, like you've prepared for the entire time of the whole world. You've prepared your mind into getting into the system. And no matter how much you read about something, you still have mm-hmm. to learn on the job when it comes to moving to a different country. But then you see this right hand driving thing in Australia. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing can prepare you for actually driving on the opposite side of the road. I mean, bro, listen, like just watching videos. I watch video videos on YouTube. You know, seeing how I think in Australia or UK, one of the two mm-hmm. countries, people drive, and just from YouTube, I feel dizzy. Like, how do you guys even do this in person? <laughs> and I'm thinking, when I eventually come visiting with you, I feel like I would. I would adjust eventually, but that'll be like after a few panic attacks, you know, yeah. <laughs> or going to the wrong side of the car or something. Interestingly, mm-hmm. I met a guy who says he doesn't really struggle to adjust. I mean, he comes to America quite often and he lives mm-hmm. in the UK. So like, it's not really a big deal for him. I'm like, ah, must be nice. So mm-hmm. for me, the adjustment I've had to make was... I mean, here in America was realizing that stop signs were not for decoration, <laughs> you know? <laughs> when I was younger, you know, this sign at um, somewhere in Onireke in Ibadan, right? Where mm-hmm. there was a stop sign, honest, honest to God, I used to think that thing was for trains. I did not know it was for cars because <laughs> nobody, nobody respected that thing. And, you know, I'll just say broadly that at least I know that in Nigeria we respect things like traffic lights and mm-hmm. like the dual cra- carriage. For the most part, people drive on the right on the correct side of the road. I mean, except yeah. you know crazy traffic like all them redeem traffic and you know those mad situations that people drive on the other side of the road. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's the difference for me. 
I mean, I I totally understand what you're saying with the signs and everything in Nigeria. <laughs> like most of us don't even know what the meaning is. Yeah. Yeah. When you come around, just remind me not to give you my car keys so you don't touch <laughs> my car. But anyway, I remember the nerves, like the nerves I felt driving mm-hmm. a car for the first time in Australia. Honestly, it felt like I'd never driven a car in my life, and I'm yeah. thinking, what's going on here? You know, many times I would drive on the other side of the road where there are oncoming vehicles. You know, all this downfall style on this one way, like they're oh, coming ahead to you and it's just crazy but anyway I'm a pro now like yeah That's I don't correct. make such mistakes anymore I think I'll even struggle now if I had to drive on the right side huh. like we used to back in Nigeria and you know just like you I, I found it really hard interpreting some of the road signs and when I finally got my full license I mean before I got that so like you know how long I put that thing off <laughs> before <laughs> Before I eventually even made any attempt, and I mean, I'm glad that it's become second nature now driving on mm-hmm. that side of the road. And I guess for you, how did you learn to adjust to that, you know, driving and everything? <laughs> oh, it's the fear of getting pulled over or crashing, like. I nah, mm-hmm. I can't even. I mean, I'm very anxious about experiencing any of that, and also just generally, you know, the need for peace of mind. You know, yeah, not the one that you drive and by the time you're getting to work, you need another two hours to recover. I mean, not not like it doesn't happen here, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, those things kind of keep me grounded. And I mean, I still generally assume that most road users are crazy. I mean, at first right. starters, I live in Texas half of people on the road are mad. <laughs> you know, it's not too different from Lagos, but for the most part, the negative consequence of breaking the law kind of helped me with the adjustment process. Mm-hmm. I was just going to quickly add that here in Melbourne, what I found that I didn't experience back in Sydney is people harassing you on the road. Like, I'm really? driving... Yes, I'm driving speed limit, right? Like, 100Ks. And then this driver is flashing me... <laughs> Well, it's, it's in the bylaw here that you can't do that like people can literally call the cops on you for harassing them while driving oh my god like it's crazy here they literally keep flashing you to either move away from that lane or you move faster and you're driving no. like normal speed limit that's something crazy that I found I take what I said back in some states because okay. I'm driving in that crazy New York and nothing applies. New York is a madhouse, so yeah. Okay. I think it doesn't apply yeah. across board. I was just saying that when you said about breaking consequences of breaking law, I think people are crazy everywhere. It's just the system yeah. that yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. so let's talk about fashion. Did you have any <laughs> shocks with fashion? Given you kind of had an idea that you know, it would be different. Mm-hmm. Like, just up front, you're going to a new environment, mm-hmm. you expect that the fashion will be different, but, like, what was, what really stood out to you when you got here? Oh, my God. Tell me about it. Look, <laughs> before I came, you don't want to know how many cold shoulder and Kara tops that I sold in Balogo. You know? And all the cold shoulder dresses and everything, you know, that was all was raining that year. And, you know, I had sewn so many, like, of different prints, colors, packed them in my bag. And so, like, when I got here... For gillies, they are still folded in packs. <laughs> <laughs> really cool. 
It was shocking. You know, the first thing I noticed was people wearing black and then white mm. and then neutrals. Like, you would hardly see people wearing pops of color. Mm. And, then, and then I remember when I would wear um, some of those Ankara's to church, they would ask you, is it your birthday? Like, what are you celebrating? <laughs> and I'm like, what insults? <laughs> you know? In my and Ankara, Ankara dresses, and you're asking me if, I'm, if it's my birthday or you know, and all of that. So yeah. that that was really shocking for me. I mean, over time, you find yourself being sucked into the culture, and then I mean, I started to wear neutrals myself. Like if you check my wardrobe now, it's full of blacks and then a couple of whites, and then I still have my Ankara. Like there's still days when I actually wear it. like that one unapologetically. It's never going to stop. I'll keep wearing my Ankara every now and then. But I mean, whether you like it or or not, whether subconscious or deliberate, you still get sucked into the system, and um, <laughs> you begin to wear neutrals just like everybody else because yeah. you just don't want to stand out. There are some days you just want to keep a low profile and just mm-hmm. keep keep it moving, you know. Another thing I had to adjust to is the four seasons in a year. Oh so my you God. know how you can wear oh the same dress. <laughs> All three years. Bless Nigeria. Same dress, I just carry umbrella and raincoats. Yeah, I fine. Know. I know. It's crazy. And then you think that, you know, with the kids as well, it's even more challenging for me because yeah, we have true, to do shopping four true. times a year. Mm-hmm. And how they outgrow those things really fast. It's it's ridiculous, you know? Like, I mean, like with us, you can use the same clothes for the rest of your life if you don't lose weight or add weight. But them, they're growing. And every every four months, I find that we're changing wardrobe. Mm. We're changing for summer. And then by the next summer, obviously, they're the already too tall or too big. And they can't even, it doesn't fit anymore. So that's something, you know, I found to be challenging and shocking at the same time, I guess. But yeah, what, what about you? I mean, in terms of shock, I'll say my Nigerian mind <laughs> took a little time to adjust to seeing girls, especially mm-hmm. wear like short shorts. Oh. To church. So this is moving away from like the whole seasons thing. All of that happened to me to like fall, mm-hmm. winter. I mean, that aside. But like, I'll go to church and I'll see girls. I mean, it doesn't look obscene because I don't know, maybe their body structure or something. But like, mm-hmm. some of them will even volunteer as ushers with like bomb shorts. I know. I'm not talking about nickel, with, like short shorts. I'm like, ha. I know. You know, it took me a while to adjust um, to that. But again, that's the cultural and I guess just normalized thing mm-hmm. around here. But um, besides that, I ha- so when I was in um, school, then I mean in Illinois, I had a small closet. So I thought that you know that whole process of putting away your warm clothes for the lighter mm-hmm. ones in summer was such a chore. Like I I I couldn't just for the life of me mm-hmm. understand why That's I had crazy. to do that. So now that yeah. I have a bigger closet, I just straight divided it into two sides: warm clothes, light clothes, and you know we keep it like mm-hmm. that. Or like in Nigeria, where you use the same clothes. Basically, throughout the year, so yeah, yeah, crazy. I honestly think moving to a new country will test you on every side. I mean, you you get to experience all these inner conflicts on so many things, but I guess uh, those conflicts resolve over time if you Uh stay true to who you are. No, speaking of conflicts, just before we move on from this point. Did you ever experience this thing where you look at the weather app, right? It says it's cold and you dress 
like appropriately and then you step out of your house and you see like you're wearing puff jackets like a proper puffer mm-hmm. and hoodie and everything everything hood and then you just see people just wear like light jackets outside or like yeah like sweaters and you're like ah, I'll be a I problem and you don't want to experience and you don't want to expose your JJC so you quickly either mm-hmm. I mean I think you should like go back and just you know, wing it, and you're thinking yeah. ah, my health yeah. or my, you know, JJCness, you know, uh-huh. and I but found isn't that, that isn't, yeah, I, isn't that the hallmark of being a JJC, though? Exactly. <laughs> like, I experienced that conflict so much. I remember one time I saw some girls, some Asian girls, they had mm-hmm. these puffers that was that went from, like, head <laughs> to their ankles, <laughs> and it was, like, 55 degrees, which is, oh I, my don't God. I don't know, the math, whatever, in Celsius, but it wasn't mm-hmm. mad cold. And they did not even care because I'm sure in their mind they're like, "Whoa, well, you people should hold your food. I'm, I'm going to protect my health." But I, as in nine, I don't want to say as in Nigerian, but as myself, I really struggled at some point. Like, okay, should I look cool or should I protect my health? You know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, now mm-hmm. I don't care. Oh, please, if it's cold, I'm already listening to what you do. You. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, speaking of something that really is distinct from Nigeria. I mean, here from Nigeria and obviously in Australia, parenting. Hmm. <laughs> this topic. So you are a parent. I'm not yet. And you also have experience raising your boy in Nigeria a little bit. And then mm-hmm. the girl, um, Kishi, in Australia fully. So I, I kind of feel you have the experience from both ends. So I guess mm-hmm. my question is, what cultural differences in parenting shocks you the most? I'm sure like you're constantly shocked, but like, which one mm-hmm. is the big, you know? <laughs> of course, I'm here. constantly shocked. <laughs> with this one. I mean, this is one, this one's loaded, like it's a loaded question. And honestly, I'm still unpacking the whole concept of parenting. As you know, like, it's not just me, it's myself and my husband as well. Mm-hmm. And it, it, even more challenging as an immigrant in, I mean, I'm coming from Africa to a Western um, culture. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm, and I also like to say that parenting in itself is challenging. <laughs> I describe it as driving a Molue truck on a road filled with, you know, stones, gravels, with so many bends and curves. Well, you have to hold on to that steering and just keep working. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, parenting itself is challenging and then parenting in a whole new country is even more challenging and even though like whilst you want to stick to your values as a parent your family values and all of that stuff you still have to be aware that your children are in a completely different environment and they have to be able to you know fit into the culture in a way that they're not it's not completely you know (laughs) throwing them constantly throwing them off balance and all that that. you want them to also adjust properly Mm -hmm. into the new system so I guess that's where the challenge really comes from balancing those two like sticking to your values and still helping your children you know be able to adjust in the new environment right. uh, i'll give spanking as an example i mean spanking oh is a widely, <laughs> it's a widely debated topic across the globe mm-hmm. and even though i personally don't believe that spanking is an effective form of discipline mm-hmm. um I still got spanked as a child. I mean, not all the time, but we got spanked as a child. And mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, children, they can just 
bring out the the worst out of you. Like you never really know. Like you try to be a good parent, but sometimes you just lose it. I mean, it happens to the best of us. I mean, are you even Nigerian if you didn't get spanked? Like, is your, I know. <laughs> I know. And then, even though, like, I'm learning every day how to be a better parent and, you know, mm-hmm. still sticking to my own core values as an African, a Nigerian, mm-hmm. um, I still find myself being conflicted by, you know, how the Western uh, parenting style is. But what I have resolved in all of this, you know, um, confusion and all of that stuff is to actually stick to my, like, what is true to me and stick to my own standard as a parent and things Mm -hmm. that I've learned growing up, my core values, my family values. Because, look, Usala... You're not going to believe, like, all this, um, you know, media, Western media and things they project, they're actually not a true reflection of what goes on in their families. Every family has its own dynamics. I mean, that's not to say that there are not things to learn from every race and every culture, but what I have resolved in my mind is actually to stick to my own values and my, I mean, to set those as my standards. Can you imagine my shock when my Australian colleagues, this is like six, you know, white women, mm-hmm. telling me how they spank their kids. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> you spank your kids? You know, you know how the media presents as if like it's just African people who spank their children like, and all of these things. Like, Tyler, go upstairs and think about what you just did. No, they're going to spank Tyler upstairs over. I know, I know. And you know, some of, some of this representation or presentation on the media is just hypocritical. So if you're just one innocent, you know, um, observer and you take mm-hmm. things on face value, you just take on those values when they're not mm-hmm. actually realistic. Some of them and some of these things are just, you know, what they do outside, not what, what they really do in their, you know, individual yeah, so it's homes. Yeah, just going to be hypocritical, right? Exactly. So what I find, you know, in all of this, you know, my resolve is actually to stick to my own, you know, standards, what, what I consider to be my family, core values. Uh-huh. And I think principles are very important. Like if right. you teach your children the right principles, they can apply it in where, I mean, whichever situation they find themselves. So, yeah, parenting for me is an ongoing journey. <laughs> you know, yeah. we keep learning. And the layer of being a Christian also, like all of that comes exactly. together. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So it's all it's all challenging in a society like this one. But then we just keep 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 you know sticking to our values and what defines us as people, as a family, and things like that. I mean, let's so let's extend to this uh, this point to family values. You know, speaking of family values, and I use that term quite loosely to mean like generally held standards about families, their roles in discipline, morals, you know, etc. So what differences have you noticed, I mean, from your own side? So definitely I can't speak for the whole country because I mean, the country is not a monolith. It has different kinds of cultures, people, nations, whatever. But my general view as a Nigerian here is that there, there's a more the system is more negotiating than back home. And with that, they tend to be more malleable to change. And my, my point is like, we are more conservative. So you keep things as they are. You are, things are demanded of you, not, you know, suggested or negotiated. Like, oh, would you do this for that? Nah. In Nigeria, it's like, this is the way to do it. 
and mm-hmm. you for the most part like so um I, I see that stands out a lot and you can see it in their parenting style or even just generally how they communicate and I also get the vibe that um, in Nigeria on surface on the surface and I use, and I insist on that word that on the surface <laughs> we are more collectivists than here where it's more individualistic so you can easily see someone just you know uproot from home and go pursue their dreams in mm-hmm. wherever, but in Nigeria, that sounds like you know a ready Nollywood script <laughs> for the prodigal son. Because we are you know, you know, I mean, the whole idea that we are collectivists and, like I said, I think is on the surface because that's a whole topic we can unpack on another podcast mm-hmm. or wherever. But you know, the way you are very grounded by the system that made you right, so you can't yeah. just pick yourself and you're going to pursue. Which dream are you pursuing? Your dream is to do doctor or lawyer <laughs> or engineer wherever they send you know i mean it's just the dynamic is just very different that's my point so you can see a family of four and all the siblings grew up in different parts of the country because they went to pursue their indiv- individual dreams that in nigeria can happen but I, it's not a readily available story to tell and even when it mm-hmm. is i mean the baby say oh she was wayward but she came to her senses and you know all that or he was or whatever and i also last one is i find that the the child support system is very interesting to me or how blended families can function together you know how mm-hmm. if back home for the most part if a family is split up like the child care suddenly becomes the burden of one side more than the other but here they kind of yeah. have a system that encourages it to work irrespective so um, right. like that child support system I find it very interesting and those are the differences I see with family value I mean, another twist to the collectivist versus the individualistic mm-hmm. approaches for me, I mean, the good part of the collectivist approaches to, um, you know how it takes a village to raise yeah. a child mm-hmm. like in Nigeria or Africa? That's mm-hmm. something I, I really, really love. And it's a preferred method of mine as opposed to the individualistic uh, just approach <laughs> I know, like you see how when their people grow up and I mean they become old and they put them in the child age care. I'm sorry, this, I would not be able to <laughs> yeah, wrap my head around that thing. Like, uh, you see, like Nigerian parents crossing their legs, ready to jamomo and reap the fruit of their labor. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and then I mean that's completely oh opposite to what we do mm-hmm. and you know that's something I'll continue to find shocking you know how yeah. they all move out you know at 18 and everybody's living that by themselves it's so sacred like you just suddenly become your parents <laughs> exactly you know <laughs> and having to leave their parents and everybody's just on their own and mm-hmm. you know that individualistic approach to things is good part, I think though. sometimes yeah I think sometimes can be extreme is what I find here that we're not used to. Right. Anyway, so let's let's move to the topic of the school system. You know, across board, Nigeria, um, US, Australia, it's all different. And I'll start by saying that as a student in the US, I found the professors, I mean, we call them lecturers back home, generally more accessible. I mean, I found a few uptight ones. That's humans for you. There'll always be that <laughs> distinct one. But generally, I found that the system allows you to clarify, debate, defend your opinions or findings or facts or whatever. And mm-hmm. 
in the humanities, I and mean, that was my field. I, when I first came, I, I really struggled to write in the first person for my reflections and even like hardcore research, where they were expected to say things like, "Oh, I conducted this ethno ethnography," or "I did this." Mm-hmm. I just putting that "I" thing was so strange to me. And back home, I even took a course that basically said you always have to write in the third person to sound objective or to be objective, you know. And getting here, I found that they've kind of moved away from that notion that research is purely objective. So again, with the whole, they are more dynamic, malleable to change mm-hmm. thing coming up again. So that that dynamic was was interesting that. Um, I could suggest or I could express my viewpoint in that way and the power distance between me and professors was not that it was not as wide as back home in Nigeria where everything professor says is right okay, I mean, if they are not questioning who are you? Do you know how many years it took like, you? me to get my professor <laughs> professorship you know things like that anyway so in what ways I mean you okay so let, let's let's let me let me let you answer the question in a different way. Since you are a parent putting kids through schools, what mm-hmm. differences have you seen in the systems? Well, for the education system, I mean, mm-hmm. before I get into that quickly, I mean, I I really um feel you on the university side of things because you know I did some few weeks before jumping off the train. So <laughs> yeah, you had a stint with school. I remember. <laughs> I know, so I share a similar experience, you know, in the sense that you can challenge, clarify, debate, and all of that, which oh, yeah. is not what we're used to sure. coming mm-hmm. from the Nigerian, you know, university system. Um, but with the kids, eh, I find, I mean, I, I, I appreciate the fact that, you know, they let children grow, they play to learn, there's a, you know, play approach to learning, and then when they're mm-hmm. five, they start school and everything, but at the same time, <laughs> well, like Nigeria, where your two year old is saying Abia Umaya, Damawa Yola. I know they can, they can do all sort of things at the age of two, but I also find, you know, that that approach does come with its benefits. Even though, you know, I know we've talked about this before about not being founded on, you know, research or yeah, yeah. those things. But I feel like. I would take a bit of both, Kusala. Like, I know that the approach, the play-to-learn approach is effective. And um, I've seen that that's what they've done. I mean, they've done a lot of research to back up this um, method that they're using here in the West. But I still feel like a combination of both is what would actually make a child. That's what, I mean, that's just my opinion because I don't take all of those things like who climb and sinker and just take it as a standard for me because I find that some children who school in Nigeria, when they move abroad, they tend to thrive above, you know, the children that were even born in that country. Right, and that tells me there's something, you know, there's something we should be looking at there in terms of research. But again, you know, like you said before, I mean, in our past discussions, there's no research findings to be able to Yeah, back I mean, we, all these sociologists and anthropologists would, you know, study how the systems work and make, you know, solid, um, like, recommendations for how the education system should be planned. And you don't really see that much in Nigeria. I mean, if you study sociology, anthropology, you sell human hair last, last, or maybe work mm-hmm. in a bank <laughs> or something. But, you know, mm-hmm. I wish that 
you know, I mean, that's what works for us because our system is more grounded in you succeeding through the academic path. I mean, as it's going to school to some extent, unlike here where you can see a kid drop out of, or not drop out, just stop educating, like formal education at high school Mm -hmm. and go to some vocation because, Mm -hmm. I mean, the economy is broad enough to accommodate that. So I wish that our approach in Nigeria was clearly founded on some principle of some sort because mm-hmm. it doesn't mean it's bad it's just different and it works because yeah. Nigerian kids thrive like you said you know they do respect yeah we do and even we as adults like we thrive in mm-hmm. other countries exactly you know um so yeah there's definitely something we're doing right um another thing i find is the approach to discipline here you know in australia and to nigeria is like day and night yeah. well, i guess that's another topic that's a topic for another day Busola. so yeah um look about the workplace i mean there's so much there as well but i know that we've worked you know in nigeria for a bit i mean four or five years now both of us uh before moving i mean let's talk about the workplace busola Mm -hmm. you know i know we've worked in nigeria for about four or five years before moving you know here i mean to our respective um countries Mm -hmm. where we live now uh what shocked you the most about the workplace (laughs) i know this particular point is broad Mm -hmm. and can even make its own episode but really what blew your mind Uh, the first one was how sacred their one hour lunch break was these people they don't joke with it like (laughs) if you like be rolling on the floor begging or I mean it's not that extreme but like need something between 12 and 1 in many offices you won't find a soul there like it's very sacred you have to go on one hour break and I remember my last job in Nigeria we had this one country manager like rolling my eyes right now (laughs) that would literally go red when he sees team members observe their break as if like I mean it's just on paper you're not really meant to observe it you know and Mm -hmm. coming here I mean my boss would literally kick us off like our desk and say you know you have to observe your one hour break lunch yeah yeah and then I also found that the part distance between me and my um, supervisor or my director is not as wide as back home where there's this orga and you know worker type of thing I mean I, maybe Jumia Jumia flattened that a little bit because it's like a flat structure company mm-hmm. but in other places like your bosses are high up there and you're just you know the floor guy I found that I didn't also need to be terribly formal with like making requests to them so I'm talking to my director and I'm like hey do you have time to get to what I asked for earlier or something unlike in Nigeria mm-hmm. when you have to like list it with so much respect yes oh my god like basically like classes like the saying <laughs> my lord may I if I may all power belongs to you <laughs> like you just like, you have to share, put so much respect so that you don't come across as you know demanding on like you know Rude all of that yeah, yeah so that, that's kind of difference <laughs> that I noticed I know it's crazy like I, I struggled with that a lot when I first moved here like when I started my first job I'm like should I call this person Miss Dow should I call them by their name or, or should you know, start with dear, dear something or my dear God. oh my god <laughs> you know I could just you know I, I really really struggled but I mean I'm used to it now after a couple of years mm-hmm. another thing I could never get used to Bissala was that people had legit smoke breaks Yo. that was <laughs> Recognized by the oh. HR room, not you know, cigarettes. <laughs> I know, and 
I don't know, but it was just shocking to me that people, you know, had those smoke breaks and they would say it so casually and like, oh, this person's gone for a smoke break. And I'm like, okay, okay, <laughs> you know. You know, you're just shocked. What is in between? Even like taking that one hour break you were talking about, I used to feel like a fraud using right. my entire outbreak and I, I, I kind of felt that's how toxic you know some some Nigerian companies can be when you feel like a fraud using one hour break in a complete <laughs> break. This conversation has been fully packed and you know there's been so right. many and I know that's, there's so yeah. much more there's still so you know, much more I'm telling you we could go on and on about <laughs> culture shocks, you know. Yeah. And to keep this conversation going, um, we would love to hear your experiences, um, guys, on our Instagram yeah. at tiwab.podcast. So T-I-W-A-B.podcast. And, you know, just share your thoughts. Let us know what your experiences are. Well, until next time, guys, that's it with Aisha and Busola. Thanks and bye-bye. This podcast is produced by Historia County Audio Network. If you enjoyed this conversation with Aisha and Busola, you are welcome to follow this show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Relevant links and show notes will be in the description. Until next time, that's it for now.